0: You're listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, your home for the best of science fiction and fantasy with a twist. Whether you prefer your stories with dragons or aliens, your beverages shaken or stirred, fill your glass, relax, and join the conversation with your hosts, sci fi and fantasy authors and proud tipsy nerds, Natalie Wright and R.S. Dabney. Welcome, tipsy nerds, book lovers, orphan black watchers, to a special episode of the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast. I'm Natalie Wright, along with my co-host, as always, the denizen of duality, Robin Dabney.
1: Hi, Natalie. How are you doing tonight? We're doing very well. We're in
0: Flagstaff recording, and we're super excited because I am a huge fan of Orphan Black. Like It's so good. Mega fan, and I like make people watch it even when they don't want to, until their eyes are just so glued, you know what I mean, to the screen. So we are super excited because we have a special guest, one of the writers of Orphan Black, the Next Chapter, Helly Kennedy, welcome, Helly. Hi, thanks for having me on. We are excited that you could be with us, and you
2: are in what Toronto Canada
0: awesome it's you know so we're in Flagstaff, and it's like super cold here for us because I'm from the desert region of Arizona, but you, like is it really cold there?
2: yeah, I mean, we operate on Celsius so I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit directly, but we were at like minus three last week, which isn't that cold, but it can get up to like minus 15, 10 here. Yeah. So it's pretty cold. I mean, it's been a little bit warmer in the last few days, which is kind of nice, but also kind of like it melts all our snow and it gets a bit slushy and gray and dreary. So I kind of prefer it colder because it's just white and pristine and nice.
0: Very good. Well, Uh, Before we get too much further into the episode, because we definitely want to talk about working black, but I wanted to uh, pop it over to you, um, Rob, to tell us what are we drinking today for this episode.
1: So we are drinking what we are calling the Clone Club Martini. It is a black in color martini. It's got vodka, blue curacao black raspberry liqueur and a lemon twist garnish. It's really pretty. I did cheat and put a few extra drops of black food coloring in there to make it like extra black. (laughs) If you don't have that, that's okay. It'll just be a little bit redder in color, but it's really tasty. Orphan black. We couldn't have any other color cocktail. So that's what inspired this. And of course, Clone Club, if you guys are fans of the show, then you know what we're talking about. And if you're not fans of the show, you need to be. Okay. So just
0: boom, go out and watch it. But um, Helly, it, it maybe it would help our listeners if they haven't watched the show or been able to check out Orphan Black, the next chapter on Serial Box. Could you maybe do a little setup of what is Orphan Black? What's it about?
2: Well, Orphan Black is a sci-fi um thriller with a huge amount of dark comedy that follows um initially one woman, Sarah Manning, when she happens upon someone who looks identical to her on a train platform and watches this woman commit suicide before her eyes. So she sees this woman commit suicide, looks identical to her, and she's a bit of a grifter type, this Sarah character. So she steals this woman's purse and tries to figure out who she is and assumes her identity. And it turns out she's a fairly well-off detective who works in the city. Um, And the deeper she digs into this woman's life, the more she discovers that she was involved in something very shady. And it turns out that this woman was... uh, um, Investigating uh, her background, which turned out to be she was a clone. And by because she looked identical to Sarah, Sarah discovers she's a clone and starts to meet more women who are genetically identical to her. And it's,
0: I mean, as a show, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a show that opens in such a great, dramatic, amazing way as this show does. I mean, Sarah, you know, watches this woman get killed by a subway and it's like, what? And just, it's a great first like episode. I'm not sure I've ever seen a show that's so riveting in a first episode, but a great setup there. Uh, Helly. Yeah. It, it's a, uh, just fascinating watching the actress play these multiple characters.
2: Yeah.
0: Just plays all the characters. And amazingly you, you all with the cereal box, or from like the next chapter, the actress from the show is narrating that, correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. So Tatiana Maslani, who plays all of the clones on the show, and I think her clone, her final clone number at the end of season five, when the show wrapped up, I think she had played 13 different clones on camera. And then she had been, you know, in photographs and documents. She'd been dozens of other clones who you don't get to meet. But yeah, she had played 13 clones often with them talking to each other in a scene, which meant she was talking to herself a lot in scenes and playing right. these people and doing takes over and over again. Um, right. And so uh, in our uh, book series, Orphan Black, the next chapter, we got her and she agreed to read for it, which was amazing because, I mean, like, who else can really do this? <laughs> right. uh, and she ended up reading and performing as a, several other clones that we created for the series. Yeah, so it was pretty... We were all really pumped to have her involved and have her bring these characters, these new clones we created to life.
1: One of my favorite parts about the audiobook is that she's reading these character parts and you're like, oh, it's Sarah. Like she, The same voices, obviously, are used for the characters in the audiobook as she used in the show. And so even though it's a totally different medium that you're you're broadcasting this story with you're still able as a listener if you're a fan to picture exactly in your head because she is so talented at what she does and you guys with writing it keep that voice consistent it's really neat going from screen to just strict audio and still being able to fully picture this show
2: yeah I think that What really worked out well for us in writing a book series for this particular universe and franchise is that the clones are such distinctive individuals, although they're genetically identical, they are from all different walks of life. And one of the real, apart from the visual aspect of what differentiates them from one another, one of the things that really uh, colors each character is the voice that tat gave them she spends a lot of time from what i remember when she was you know developing characters through the seasons and she'd go and act she spends a lot of time on their physicality and their voice and she would have like soundtracks that she would play and she would listen to and just morph into another character and i think because the voices are so distinct it's really beneficial for an audiobook
0: yeah i my one of my favorite clones is Cosima. And so in the first um, episode of the serial next chapter, you know, when Cosima comes on like, yay, it's Cosima. And then when Sarah comes in, it's like, oh, yay, there's Sarah. So really, really great job. Yeah. Robin mentioned this, but what a chore. And I mean, like probably a fun chore, but you have to stick with the established parameters of these characters. And so you guys have done a great job with that. And Heli, you wrote before this, you wrote also some Orphan Black stuff, right? You were involved in comics. Is that?
2: Yeah, that's my initial involvement in this uh, universe. I was writing comic books for them while they were on the air. So I wrote three of them, three series. The first one was Helsinki. And it kind of it explored a backstory that was mentioned in the show, but never fully explained. It focuses on a group of European clones that met an ill fate. And uh so yeah, I did that and explored that and helped um, create a storyline that kind of dovetailed into a new clone that they were shooting while I was publishing those books. So we were kind of developing this Backstory for a character that appeared on the show at the same time as they were doing it. So that was kind of neat. And then I did another kind of like alt universe series that explored uh, the show from the angle that Beth Childs, which is the woman on the platform and the very first episode and first scene that kills herself in front of Sarah Manning's eyes it explores the the idea that she perhaps had lived and Sarah had sh- saved her life. So it was kind of a bit of almost like a fanfic comic book series that I wrote for the show.
1: Cool. So were you a fan of the show before you started writing for them? And then how did you get involved writing for Orphan Black?
2: Yeah, I was. Um, I was a fan of the show, but I hadn't watched it I I, I came to the show because my mom told me that there was a really amazing Canadian TV series that was airing. And she said, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. And I watched it and I realized, well, I knew Tat from a, a decade earlier and I had no idea what she, I was really out of the loop at this time. I had no idea what she was working on. And I saw her come up in the show. I was like, oh my God, there's Tatiana. And She blew me away with her performance. And then I realized I knew most of the writing room and I knew the show creators too, actually, uh, because we had all gone to the same professional development sort of program up here we have a small program called the canadian film center and they take a lot of directors writers producers and editors and put them in labs together and the the a lot of people on the show were alum of that program so we were already kind of interconnected and had met in some one way or another so i reached out to them and i was just chatting to them and i was interested in the show and working on the show. And I thought it was phenomenal. And uh, the comic book job came up and I knew the editor at the publishing house too, that was uh, managing the series. And I slung him a bunch of work and uh, got the gig.
0: Cool. That's awesome. It's so cool that the Canadian, is it is it Toronto or the Canadian government that supports artists in that way?
2: um we have arts councils that are funded federally, provincially and local locally sort of um city there's city councils as well so there's different levels of funding that are funded by um taxpayers dollars so there is money here to create small projects and somewhat bigger projects as well and that's actually i started you, uh, filmmaking using those funds, it allowed me the ability to make projects that were a bit of a higher quality because I had access to some financing that I could apply for with a pitch package. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, just
0: a little pitch here to (laughs) American listeners, like, putting money into the arts, like makes a difference, right? It like, look at what happened here with Orphan Black. I mean, it's the a great synergy of all these wonderful things coming together where you have great writing and great acting and great cinematography. Like the whole show is just done so well. And it's such a breath of fresh air compared to, you, you know, your your typical things that are made for network television. So it's just incredibly well done all the way through.
1: It is. So I have a question for you on, on the next chapter writing for this audiobook. There's a few of you who are writing this and you guys, it looks like each take a different episode and write that. How do you manage to keep a cohesive storyline with so many writers and what are like challenges of that? What is something that's fun about that? Yeah.
2: Well, lots of Slack. We use Slack a lot. We messaged each other. A ton. But we started uh, by having all the writers convene in New York uh, in a writing room where we broke our initial concept for the season. And we broke it down into 10 episodes and arced it and then assigned all the episodes to the writers, much like a TV writing room. I would say it's very, very similar to that. Only We only convened for a short period of time. And then we broke up and we all live in different parts of North America. So, and in different time zones. So we were kind of still working on the series as we were building each episode and um communicating online and having tons and tons of Skype calls or uh, calls with um video chats where we could have everybody open on the screen at the same time, kind of like a Brady Bunch grid. And it was pretty much like a clone call that way. It was kind of hilarious. And uh we, it was challenging, I would say, in the way that when you're not able to sit down every day in a room with the writers involved and have everybody kind of bring up, you know, ideas or explain what, Decisions they've made in their episodes and how that'll impact your episode, it gets kind of hairy. But luckily, we had amazing editors at Serial Box. We had uh, Lydia Shima and Marco Palmieri, and they helped us through and kept a uh, like kind of a view over it. And then um, our showrunner Melka Older, she wrangled a lot of it too. And I was on as a story consultant as well as a writer, so I was trying to constantly figure out, you know, well, what are we doing that maybe isn't different enough, or are, are we too far afield of the brand, uh, that kind of thing, and the tone of the show. So it was a little bit challenging just from a communication standpoint, but in the end, it was amazing because all of the writers are novelists that you know I may have never met because that level of collaboration doesn't often happen in books. And I think everyone was so insanely talented and interesting and had their own unique angle and background when they came to the project that we ended up building something that I'm really proud of and we I learned a lot from them and I think there was never a shortage of ideas
0: that's so cool so we were listening earlier and it's really interesting because the cereal box production you can listen as an audiobook but you can also read it as as prose and, but the audiobook it's more like a teleplay because Tatiana is reading it, but there's also some sound effects and 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 she's bringing that talent of her ability to do different voices to the audiobook narration. So it's incredibly well done, and I, we were very impressed too with again you keeping the the voice of this new chapter, you know, in line with the feel and of the. um, you know, the original, uh, show. So, but this one is moved forward in time, right? Is it eight? I think it's eight years after the end of like, what would be the TV show?
2: Yeah, that's correct.
0: And so, and we're introduced right away to a new clone that I like, like, I love her tone and her voice Viv, right? Um, Yeah. Uh, so, so who came up with Vivi? Like how did that storyline happen that you, you all decided to create this new clone character?
2: So Vivi is part of the original pitch that Malka Older came up with, and she had this idea for this clone, an American clone, who had a kind of—I um, think she has a Cuban background. Her parents, her her adopted parents are have a Cuban background, and they're American. And she she came up with it initially, and she's sort of the character that was always there and. It, anchored to this story. And she's like our clone we called her. And uh yeah, that was something that really, I think she was pretty much what we built the story around initially, because we really want to showcase a cool new clone and have the audience get to discover her and and go along on a journey with her. So we built a lot of our plot based off her.
0: And that's one of the great things about the, the storyline of the clones because there, there can always be a new clone. I mean, it could really go on and on and on because, you know what I mean, there's never a shortage of potential for new characters with their own kind of like brand of cloniness.
1: <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah, this, exactly. this, the next chapter is 10 episodes long. Do you guys have plans to do another audio book with this or is this kind of it? Well, I'm not sure at the time of this
2: recording if we're coming back for a second season or not, but we do have material that we want to use in a second season. So if Serial Box wants to have us come back, we're totally down for that. But yeah, so the book, I think the last book just came out at the time of this recording last week in in, uh, early December. So I think we're still waiting to hear what will happen, but we would be... We totally would love to come back. There's a lot that we left on the cutting room floor for the book series, like we just you know stuff that didn't make make it to the to the final drafts of each episode, so we'd like to explore those
1: and there's some voracious fans of this series, so hopefully hopefully it's popular and does well because I know even both Natalie and i we want more, <laughs> yeah there are. I mean, there can't be too much
0: orphan black for me. So, one of my questions to you is: You've had an opportunity to write in this universe, and you know all the clones very well. What? Who's your favorite clone?
2: Oh, okay. My favorite clone. Uh, This is always so hard because it's it's somewhat like it's it's related to how I feel that day. Some days I feel more Allison. <laughs> and some days i feel more helena so i i don't know i'm torn between them but then also i love crystal i just can't get yes. enough of crystal she's just so i don't know she's so she, her heart is sort of in the right place but she happens to just fall into answers all the time and she's you know a real product of pop culture especially like female-oriented pop culture that I just love watching her as a caricature of it. I'm kind of torn between those three.
0: My daughter is 17 and we've been watching it together. So she's new to the series and she loves Helena. And, you know, then she slips into her voice, my sea stars. And she's, you know, like, I just did that really badly. That was like <laughs> the worst possible <laughs> Russian. Baltic it was a little accent. creepy. Yeah,
2: sorry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: very bad. But we love Helena. And every time the music does that, like, like screechy sound, you know, you know, Helena's coming and. I love that character because, as a writer, I love it when a character you know that you think is irredeemable somehow gets redeemed. But like, she never stops being crazy, so I love that too because she's certifiable. Kind of an antihero, definitely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's great. But one of my favorite like non clone characters, and I, mean, I want to ask you who, what, who your favorite non clone character is. I we love Felix. Yes, He's like he's just the best. So, we love him. Do you have any other like non-clone characters that you love to watch or that you love to write?
2: Mm, I love I love 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 Felix and I love Mrs. S. Yes, the mother his his mother and Sarah's mother. I just love that combo, that kind of little tightly knit, boundaryless family they've created between the three of them. I find I really enjoyed that dynamic and seeing that family dynamic on screen, because I felt like there was a lot of it was very real. And uh, I found it very interesting. And, you know, I I grew up with a single mother. And so being, you know, one of two, two children and a single mother, I kind of related to pieces of it. But yeah, those two characters. Yeah, those are my faves.
0: And in the series, their storyline, I love how, yes, you have the clones and you have the Lita project and you have the whole intrigue of why they're clones, what they were made for, all of that's going on. But then you have these really rich side quest stories that are going on. And one of them is the fairly complex relationship between Felix and Sarah and Mrs. S. And that builds over the seasons and you get a lot more information about them and what brought them together and... But yeah, I think very relatable too, because they're like Felix and Sarah are her foster children, that it ends up being more than, you know, just like a typical foster family, like they stay together. So it's, yeah, it's a wonderful relationship. I love that.
2: Yeah, I, I, I really love, yeah, Felix, I think was from the very beginning from the pilot, from the first episode, I just, I was in love with that character and yeah, I, I,
0: Painting in assless chaps is just—you gotta
2: love that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, how well, can no you no argue no with problem? that, right? And I don't, and I don't really want to spoil anything, like but right. I don't want to spoil anything, but for anyone who's interested in listening to the books and who may also be a Felix fan, you know, there might be a little something, something, something in there for you.
0: That is good. To, good to know because I think Felix is a, definitely a fan favorite for, for lots of people.
1: So one thing I wanted to ask you, because you know, this is such a big project and it's such a neat thing for you to be part of, but how did you get your start with writing? Like what was what was your first professional writing piece and even before that, like what what got you into writing? What made you want to be a writer? When I was a kid,
2: I I started writing when I was around six years old. And I think it was because I was so intimidated by the amount of words that the older kids could fit onto a piece of paper. And I thought I could never do it. So I was determined to try to do it. And I had a really, uh, a teacher that encouraged me quite a bit when I was uh, in second grade, I was seven years old. And uh I started writing picture books for my class. And I was also writing, I was really into Nancy Drew when I was six and seven. And so I would write Nancy Drew books and, well, can't call them books really. They're probably like, (laughs) I don't know, a hundred words long in the end. Who knows how long they were? I can't, I don't have any of them, unfortunately. Second grade fanfiction. fan fiction? Yeah, I was writing fan fiction, but I was setting um, Nancy Drew in a sci-fi world because I was also into Star Trek at the time as a kid. Yeah, and so I would, like, take Nancy Drew and send her to other dimensions and have her do all sorts of, like, strange things and encounter strange beings. Um, I to read that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I wanted to see. So I was doing that, and then I kind of started making films, and I think, like, one of my first gigs that was professional, I would say, or professional-ish was I, I won a, um, I won a a competition where I had written a short film and they financed us to make it. It's a, it, it's a program up here called the National Screen Institute, and it's partially funded by the government. And they gave us $40,000 to make a film that I wrote. And that was kind of like my first gig a long time ago, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And maybe No, actually, sorry, I'm lying. I'm lying. Before that, years before that, I got grant money, actually. And when you get grant money, you are locked into making it because if you don't produce a product and have it screened in a festival and meet certain requirements, they don't unlock funding for you again. So it's just to ensure that the production happens. Because the money you don't pay it back, it's meant to foster the creation of the project. So my very first gig was tied to grant money. And I must have been 20. I think I was at a high school. And I avoided going to school for a couple of years. <laughs> so my mother was, you know, losing her mind over that. And I uh, was writing short films and applying them for financing. And I think that was my first gig.
1: Cool. cool. So you, you've always wanted to write for the screen but it, but you've also written those comic books or graphic novels. So you've gotten to do kind of both forms of media. Is there one that you enjoy more than the other or is it equal in different ways?
2: No, I think I enjoy all of them equally in different ways. I mean, they all have their challenges and, you know, I, I would say like I have my weaknesses in each medium in one way or another and my strengths. So and writing for them are somewhat, writing for each one, let's say, you know, prose, if you're writing books, or comic books, which is almost like a hybrid between prose and and filmmaking and then writing screenplays. They're all so different and fulfilling and different aspects for a writer that I can't really single one out more than the other. But because I've been screenwriting for so long, and I initially started wanting to write as a child through prose, I'm really loving writing in that format, because it's just it makes you feel a little bit freer because it's easy to get locked into a certain format or knowing that when you write a like a a pilot for TV, or you know, you're writing a script, you get locked into act breaks and structure. Whereas with prose, we still followed that, um, especially on this project, the next chapter, but I get to like play a little bit more that in a way that I don't get to play for the screen with psychology. And, and, you know, I can bring out emotion, deep internal emotion for a character and explain backstory that will never appear on screen if we had shot it.
0: Right. I, I do think that's one of the things. So for tipsy nerds book club podcast, we are frequently reading books that have been adapted for the screen. And so we will try to look at both, both forms of media and pretty much without, with very few exceptions, the book is, is richer. You know, yeah. because we get a lot more character development, backstory, emotion, deep internal thinking going on for the characters. So as readers, I mean, I definitely enjoy film tons, but the, the the books are, you know, just this richer experience. And that is a really cool thing about Orphan Black, the next chapter, is if you like these characters, if this is a world that you enjoy, this gives you a little bit of a deeper look inside the minds of the characters. And so that's that's a cool thing about it.
1: Is this something you see as a trend, Helly? Like, do you think this is something that other, other TV shows will do? Is it something that's in production in other places where you have a TV show, it ends, and then to keep it going, people are creating audiobooks or podcasts or some other medium to, to keep the story alive? Yeah,
2: definitely I would say so. I know that Serial box has done that a bit and they also have a dear, deal with Marvel. So they are actively developing novels based on pre-existing universes and properties, some of which are, you know, films and some that are TV series and I I do think it's a trend. I think that this is an interesting model for publishing and for books because I know that sometimes it feels like books are at risk of you know they're in jeopardy sometimes that they don't maybe make as make the uh, volume of sales that they need to um, and it feels like sometimes people aren't reading as much, but this is sort of a format that plays to what I think people have gotten used to in television, which is you know episodic ten part series that's short, but all together is a giant novel. So I think it's a really interesting way to consume prose. And I really like the radio play aspect of it because they put a lot of production into it and you feel immersed in a world. And its um, I listen to a lot of audiobooks as well as read. So for me, I think I'd like to see more of this stuff.
0: Yeah, I agree. We listen to a lot of audiobooks as well. For the show and otherwise, I mean I do because i I can do that while I'm in the car or while I'm doing the laundry or whatever so you can get kind of like more reading in and I'll switch back and forth between print and audiobook, and uh definitely production quality has improved over the years, so sometimes we pick up these older books and the production quality is like, yeah, but then you know more recent ones, the production but this adds a completely other dimension where instead of just straight up narration, there is there are you know, there's a production value added so that you get more of um, like like an old time radio play where, you, you know, they're doing sound effects and they're adding effects to her voice if she's on the telephone and such. Um, it's really cool.
1: I think it's a really uh, neat uh, avenue for people as well because like you were saying, we are on the move so much. People are driving, you're at the gym. You're, it's a lot harder in our day and age to sit down and spend like three hours reading a book. It's still wonderful, but a lot of people can't or don't take that time. But this is, uh, this gives people the ability to consume these stories. And again, like you said, this right. is a really cool because it's, it doesn't feel like it's just an audiobook. It feels like it's an immersive audiobook. It's like this five dimensional audio book. Right. I don't know. I really liked that about it. Yeah. And I like some of the chapters are, you know, short,
0: like you can listen to some of them. They're, you know, what, 30 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour around that, around that to listen. So, They're very um, manageable um, chunks of listening that you can do anywhere. So I just want to mention to our listeners one more time, this is something that you can only get on Serial Box, which is a subscription service. So... Orphan Black, the next chapter is not on Audible, <laughs> you know. So just remember that, listeners. That, and we will have links to this on our website. So for our listeners, go to our episodes page, and we will have links under this episode of where you can find it. So we want to make sure people can get to it. And if you love Orphan Black, or it's new to you, and you go watch the show, and then you want to continue your journey um, with these characters, make sure you tell people so that Serial uh, Box will get that message because you know, dollars speak. Uh, So if a lot of people go out and, and listen to it, then they're going to probably have these writers back for, for more would be my guess, right? I mean, that's usually what brings uh, this more content is more listeners, more readers.
2: Exactly. And it's also binge, there's a binge ability now for it. It's all the episodes are out. You're not going to wait for a weekly release because we've done our run of that. So you can listen to all 10 episodes at once.
0: I love that. So one of our questions we always ask our writer guests is, of the huge universe of sci-fi and fantasy, what is your favorite story? What is your favorite book or movie or television show in the sci-fi fantasy genre?
2: Okay. So I think um, if I go back to my roots as a kid and my fantasy nerdiness and the hidden Private LARPing I did with my best friend. It was all Tolkien inspired, largely off of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. But of the two books, I think I lo- like The Hobbit the most just because of its, it's very encapsulated. It's, it's a small story that was just, I loved reading it as a kid and it sucked me in and it kind of inspired me to build my own worlds and my own fantasy, uh, build, draw my own fantasy maps too with them, uh, and design my own characters based off of all of the work that Tolkien had put into that. I mean, he designed languages. It really inspired me a lot as a writer.
1: Very cool. I'm also, Tolkien's my favorite too. And I, Actually, it's, it's fun for me to listen to you because in second grade, I also started writing and my, I started writing like Tolkien fan fiction. So I actually like rewrote The Hobbit, but he had a wife and a kid. (laughs) Ah! It was really terrible. I've read it since, but it's, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it's such, it's, I mean, as mainstream as that is, as a favorite, it's so big in the genre. And I mean, nobody has done it better as far as the depth that he went in creating the story.
2: Yeah, the world building is insane in that. And I also with my best friend, when I was a kid, we rewrote a lot of uh, the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit as well. We rewrote ourselves into it as female characters, because there weren't many female characters in his storylines. There were in the world as a whole. And we had, you know, the Tolkien dictionary, so we could look everybody up and see what their backstories were. If We couldn't keep track, but we, we loved writing, rewriting parts of it because there was so much to work with.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Very cool. Okay. So our other question that we like to ask our guests is what is your favorite drink? Preferably alcoholic, but it doesn't have to be. Okay.
2: Yeah. I think that the cocktail that I don't drink a lot of cocktails, but the one that gets me and I just, you know, you know, it's the one that you kind of can't stop. I love Aperol spritzes. Ah, yes. Um, Yeah. So it's like Aperol, which is kind of an orange liqueur, Italian liqueur and um, Prosecco with a splash of soda in it. And it's just, and then you cut a giant lemon, or sorry, a giant orange wedge and you throw it in. It's just, oh my gosh, I, I love those things.
1: That sounds really good. I had one for the first time in Switzerland last year, and it was really refreshing.
2: It's very refreshing. I first had it in Venice in Italy because I think it's like from that region. I don't think it's a Venetian drink, but it's from Verona or somewhere close by. And they drink Aperol Spritz all the time over there. Or it seemed like that. And I I permitted myself to drink it all the time. Maybe I told myself that. I don't know. (laughs) So as a result, I drink it and I just think about being on vacation in Italy.
1: Yeah, we need to make it mainstream in Canada and the US as a <laughs> yeah, popular drink. Come up for
0: that. Exactly. Okay, side question, what is like the drink of choice in your area, your region?
2: Hmm, we have a lot of microbreweries up here in Toronto and the surrounding uh, region like in the countryside. It really a lot of microbreweries and people drink a lot of bourbon and mules here as well. What else is I'm there? I think it- those are the two that I'm like a Moscow mule or uh, a microbrewery beer, like a sour or something really unique, an IPA. Cool. Uh, yeah.
1: So what is next for you? If if there's no guarantee yet, there, there will be the next chapter, next chapter. What What new writing projects do you have? What are you working on or what are you looking forward to? Well, I just finished
2: writing on a game. I work for Ubisoft as well, so I write video games. Cool. We love um, you. Yeah, it's kind of like my day job, which is interesting to have a a writing day job. And I have a writing night job, too. So I just came off a game there called Watch Dogs Legion. And that's due out approximately a year from now. And I am also writing on another uh, big open world game for them that's unannounced. So I'm working on that actively. Currently, I go to write every day at Ubisoft. And then I'm also working on a fantasy novel. Uh, it's kind of more for, uh, I would say a middle grade or bleeding into YA a little bit. A fantasy novel called The Penny Discount, and it deals with magic and two girls growing up, best friends who, um, who basically learn about greed and credit debt through the use of magic. Cool.
1: <laughs> I love that. And that's very cool.
0: You, you like, so I'm very jealous right now because you have my, my secret desired day job, which is writing for video games. Like,
1: no way. Yeah. Like I can, can you share a little bit about what that's like? Because I think that's sure. something, you know, a lot of our listeners also play video games and you know, you'll play these things and there's incredible storylines. I mean, like they're yeah. their own novels and movies in, the, in and of themselves. Like what goes into writing for a video game?
2: Oh my gosh. I would say what goes into writing for a video game, it's so varied. It's one part writing, screenwriting, because you write cutscenes, which are the cinematic dramatic scenes that come up uh during gameplay in different parts of levels and mission arcs. There's a lot of arcing of giant stories that appear both in game. So you hear you hear dialogue in game that sort of helps to progress a story as you play through it. And then you also read notes or hear audio logs depending on the the type of game you're writing for. And then there's a lot of world building too. Of, you end up as a writer and in, uh, in my experience so my limited experience is that we've we've ended up forming a lot of the world like locations and regions and different parts of the map based on narrative so we're helping to sculpt the narrative which sometimes informs the visuals that you see or the visuals inform the narrative so there's a little bit of a symbiotic relationship between us the writers the level designers who design all the missions that you play and the level artists who design the world that you see and many many other teams including like programmers who design the programming that fuels the gameplay and the mechanics that you have in game all of it kind of informs one another. So it's a really interesting medium to write for because it's a little bit like screenwriting, a little bit like world building for a novel. You do write some prose every so often depending on the type of game you're writing for. And yeah, it's it's kind of a mishmash of so many different f- formats of writing.
0: It's very cool. I I've been playing video games since, um, Pong. Oh,
2: which, my God. Cool. That came
0: Cool. When I was in, I think fifth grade or sixth grade. And, you know, they were, you know, but anyway, yeah, all the way up through writing for Zelda Pong is probably, yeah, and, you know, <laughs> the old, like the very first Nintendo. Cause that's how fucking old I am. But anyway, <laughs> digress. But, um, when I played Dragon Age Inquisition, that like was the point where I was like, this, these writers, you know, it's like one of those games that has so much writing because there's all these like little side things you can pull up and read. And I was like, I think that was probably the first game that I became very much in awe of the writers and very aware of that. Because a lot of the times the writing's there, but it's sort of, you're not necessarily, you're playing the game. You're not, you know, necessarily always thinking about that. But as a writer, I was like, holy shit, there's like a ton of writing in these games, you know? It and, goes, uh, yeah. It's like, it's, but it, it's, it fades to the background. The fact that someone did that because you're just enjoying the cutscene or you're enjoying the gameplay. But, uh, yeah, you know, how there's that that meme or those things going around. Like if you, if you like your iPhone, remember there's art involved in that, right? Like to support artists. It's like, it's kind of like that with writers. It's like, I'm not sure if I always are appreciate the extent to which almost everything, all every piece of media that they like, there's a writer somewhere involved in that. Chained to a desk in a basement somewhere. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. In Toronto. Yeah. Um, One so yeah. we- no <laughs> more question. question a- oh, no, I'm joking. Yeah. Um, we're quite free. We walk around a lot. We yeah. we are just chained to our level designers, basically. Yeah.
0: Good. Yeah. No <laughs> writers were actually enslaved or harmed in in the making of this show or any other. Okay, go ahead.
1: So one more question for you, because I know we need to let you go. But do you play video games? And if so, what is your favorite video game?
2: Oh my gosh, favorite video game. I'm not sure what my favorite video game is. I think years ago, I liked Skyrim a lot. I liked Last of Us. I liked God of War, which came out the other year. I I But I also like things like Cuphead, which are just, you know, it's kind of like, not. I think there's still a ton of writing in Cuphead. But there's no dialogue with, you know, cutscenes that you see that are super dramatical, like frequently. But um I'm also playing a game that I really enjoy right now that came out a little not too long ago called Obra Din. It's a uh, it's basically you are it's set, I think, at the turn of the century or the late 1800s and uh you are an insurance investigator who is sent onto a basically a pirate ship that was meant to carry cargo back to the UK and something has gone totally awry and all of the crew is gone and the cargo is missing and you go back and you figure out what happened and there's a series of deaths that occur on the ship and you investigate them and you follow the the storyline through these deaths that you've investigated and that's really cool it's a really basic like game in terms of the way it looks it's but the storytelling is really neat and the uh, the voice acting that they have is amazing there are no cutscenes in this game but it's where the story really comes in. I I think it's fantastic. So that's some stuff that I've played lately. And I'm looking forward to playing Death Stranding. I haven't played that yet.
0: Cool. Very good. There's some good games coming out. Very nice. We so appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about Orphan Black, the next chapter and Orphan Black, the show. We wish you, wish you the best of luck with getting a, you know additional work in that. And we will we'll be watching uh, for more stuff from Heli Kennedy.
2: Thank you. And thank you so much for listening to the book series. And I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I'm really happy that it's been received well. Uh, Very well
1: done. And we would recommend it to anybody. To our listeners, Orphan Black, the show is available on Amazon Prime, right? That's where I watched it, I think. Did I?
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. just watched it through my television, but I think it's also okay. still on
1: Netflix. Okay, it might be on Netflix. I watched it through Amazon Prime. And then Orphan Black, the next chapter, the audiobook is available on Serial Box audiobook. And go to our website, social media, we'll have links to all of this. And thank you, Hallie. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes. Okay. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the fun with your friends and family. Love what you heard and want the fun to continue? Head over to Patreon and become a patron of the Tipsy Nerds podcast. We love our patrons. Want a recipe for a cocktail you heard here? You can find recipes as well as show notes, episode transcripts, and helpful links on our website, tipsynerdsbookclub.com. And as always, join us next week for a new episode of Libations and Geeking Out. Cheers.